Hello, and thank you for joining us today. My name is Frank Spangler, and this is Worldviews, a podcast that seeks to find harmony between the philosophies and worldviews of religion and science. In our last lesson, we talked about some poor methods of Bible study. In today's lesson, I want to talk about some good Bible study practices and some of the things that we should all be aware of when we're working with difficult passages. We're going to learn about some online tools that can help even lay people study like a Bible scholar. Please join me as we think about some positive methods of studying God's Word today. The first Bible study method that I would like to recommend to you today follows closely the methodology of scientific research. Many people may not be aware of this, but the scientific method was actually first conceived and developed by men who held a strong faith in God and the Bible, and was in many ways modeled after the Bible study methods of early theologians. From grade school, you probably remember the steps. Make an observation about something in the world or universe around you, and come up with a tentative description of your observations and call it a hypothesis. The next step is to use your hypothesis to make some predictions and then rigorously test these predictions by conducting a battery of experiments, modifying your hypothesis in the light of the results of your experiments and other observations. When you have repeated this step until there are no longer any discrepancies between your hypothesis and the observations of your experiments, you now have a theory. You can publish your results to other scientists. Some may repeat your experiments to test your theory. Others may offer a new theory, a different theory, that better explains a certain phenomenon than your theory does, which may cause you to reevaluate your findings in the light of these new propositions. While all of this might seem like a lot of hard work, it is this kind of objective approach that provides an environment where all scientists using the same method can make collective advancement towards a better understanding of life and the cosmos. Most of the tools, products, and devices that we enjoy in our everyday life have come about as a result of the rigorous application of the scientific method of research and discovery. If secular science works so hard, how much more diligent should we be in our biblical research? A reading of Scripture can lead one to have thoughts and convictions as a student observes 
certain trends happening within Scripture, she may develop a hypothesis. As one carefully examines these hypotheses in the light of other passages of Scripture on the same subject, as one may discuss the idea with friends and colleagues, or as the proposal is subjected to prayer and meditation, the hypothesis may develop into a teaching. Position papers may be published and distributed to a a wider group of Bible scholars to consider and weigh in on. And after some discussion and debate with other thinkers in a larger group of believers, these teachings may go through a process of refinement and be adopted as doctrine. However, I believe that even when a belief becomes a doctrine, it is never a good idea to stop there. I believe that the Word of God is living and dynamic. It is like a flower that is continuously unfolding, beautiful at every stage, but always with more to show as it continues to unfold. We will never be able to arrive at a final truth. While many Christians are of the opinion that all Bible teachings have been exhaustively studied, I believe that we will be learning the mysteries of God and the cosmos throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. We should never cease our investigative study of Scripture. Unfortunately, like many scientific theories, a number of doctrines have received such wide acceptance that in many faith traditions, that doctrine has become dogma, which, as you may guess, can be very difficult to change or advance. In our last lesson, we talked about the importance of not taking texts out of context. But I believe that it is important to go much further than that. Every passage of study must be considered not only within its immediate context, but within the larger context of the book in which it is found. The historical context in which it was written We need to consider the culture and worldview of the people to whom the message was written and the prevailing theories, philosophies, and thinking of the time. Even, if possible, the pop culture or the street culture of the time. I know that this sounds like a lot of work, but I believe it is an essential task as we attempt to do responsible research. For example, if you have ever wondered why Paul gave the advice that women should be silent in church, the only way that you will ever gain any insight into that is to research the life and times of Paul. Once you have done that, 
I believe you will be better able to answer the question, was the advice that Paul gave addressing a local issue? Or was he intending to give advice to all churches through all time, through all cultures? This goes hand in hand with using good principles of hermeneutics that we have talked about in the past. How it is extremely important to understand that the message of the text should first be read and understood within the context of the primary audience. Then, after you have done that, do what you can to understand the principles behind the message of the day and discern ways of how these underlying principles can be applied to our lives today. I believe that you will find that this works so much better than trying to apply the literal words of the Bible across all time and culture. If you're not sure about this, Try shushing all of the women in your church next week and see how it goes over. You could even come with the proof text handy to show them why you are shushing them. But I suspect that you will not be well received. The same goes for stoning adulterers. On this point, I believe that Jesus, by his example, in the story of the woman who was caught in adultery, shows us how important it is to apply good hermeneutics when reading and applying the words of Scripture, and how a literal application of the words are not always appropriate through time and culture. You might be wondering, well, how can I learn about the life and times of the people who lived so long ago? Well, many good versions of the Bible will have an introduction to each book in the Bible that uh, may help you uh, understand these things. A good commentary can also provide valuable insights. There are many books that you can read that have carefully researched ancient cultures. We are all familiar with the term lost in translation. And yet, many Christians, I believe, don't really think too much about that when they study the Bible. Some may not even be aware that the Bible was not originally written in English, that it has gone through a process of translation. If you have ever had to work as a translator or work through a translator, you will know how badly things can go wrong, how easy it is for misunderstandings to happen. My work often takes me abroad, and for the last 30 years I have worked through translators. I have attempted to teach the Bible through a translator. My wife's first language is not English. I know how easy it is for things to get lost in translation and because of a lack of understanding of local culture. And so as you study the Bible, 
And as you come across a text or a passage that seems to say something different than what you have noticed the rest of the Bible saying, it could very well be because of an issue of translation. Now, I am not a linguist. I've attempted to learn the biblical languages of ancient Hebrew and Greek, but I found them to be very difficult for me. Thankfully, there are many others who have mastered the biblical languages and have provided a number of tools that we can use today to determine more carefully the original meaning of some of these difficult passages. The first tool that everyone can easily use is all of the modern translations of the Bible. Today, especially in the English language, there is a wide variety of very good translations that use all of the modern tools of computer-assisted research and knowledge. There are several websites online that allow you to take any text and do a cross-translation analysis, quickly comparing a passage of Scripture across many different translations. I'll leave some links in the description section below that will allow you to quickly and easily read any passage in about 20 different versions. Many Christians believe that the King James Version of the Bible is the only reliable translation and that all others are to be held in suspicion. Well, I believe that this is simply not the case. In fact, when the King James Version of the Bible was translated, the scholars who worked on it were not really working with the best manuscripts. They did not demonstrate the best understanding of the ancient biblical languages. And while they did an amazing job of maintaining the beautiful, poetic, literary style of some of the original writers over into a new language, which is not always an easy thing to do, I believe that they did not always maintain theological integrity. And in my opinion, as well as the opinion of many others who have looked into this, have caused theological confusion with some of the words that they chose to use to translate the original biblical languages into English. It is the job of translators to maintain objectivity at all times when they do their work. But it is obvious that the King James translators allowed their own personal belief system influence how they translated some of the words. I believe it is so important for the Bible student to understand this and be open to doing a comparative analysis of a text that you may be struggling with. It is very easy to do on the internet these days. Many of the more modern translations of the Bible are more objective and are working with earlier manuscripts. And often the translators have a much more accurate understanding of the nuances 
of the Greek language as it was when the New Testament was written. There is a wide spectrum of translations available that range from the very accurate word-for-word translation to a variety of paraphrase versions, where the version is more of a retelling of the Bible using modern, colorful language. Those translations of the Bible into English that are considered more scholarly have employed a team of linguists from different backgrounds who collaborate on how to translate the texts. The paraphrase versions are often the work of just one person and are more likely to reflect that person's bias. Here we see them on a spectrum. And as you look at this, you can determine where your favorite translation falls on this spectrum. This may also help you make judgment calls as you do your comparative study as to which versions may be considered to be more accurate to the original language and thus more free from bias. Perhaps one of the best online tools on the internet today is called BibleHub.com. Here, you can quickly move between all of the best English translations for any text. You can go to the original languages. You can check lexicons and concordances, as well as Bible commentaries. BibleHub.com Christians believe that the Bible was inspired by God, but they have very different ideas on how that inspiration happened. Some believe that God practically dictated the Bible and that the prophets were simply stenographers. We call this verbal inspiration. Others believe that God inspired thoughts and ideas, gave visions and dreams to the prophets, and that their message comes through the filter of the individual's education, culture, and worldview. We call this thought inspiration. We've studied this question a number of times in several of our earlier lessons, especially lesson four and five. So if you'd like more on this, be sure to check out those lessons. Today, I just want to emphasize how much a student's understanding of how inspiration functions can affect how the Bible is read and understood. Let's take the example we noted earlier about Paul's advice that women should remain quiet in church. In many churches today, including my own faith tradition, there is a debate going on as to whether women should be allowed to become ordained ministers, pastors, or priests. People who believe that the Bible came to us through a verbal type of inspiration and read and interpret the Bible quite literally are likely to say no to women's ordination. Those who believe in thought inspiration are more likely to see no problem with 
Gender equality in today's church setting, when combined with principles of good hermeneutics, remembering context and the overall theme of the Bible that says that God is no respecter of persons, that in his sight there is neither male nor female, they are more likely to understand that the unusual words of Paul were meant to be advice for a local situation and should not be universally applied across time and culture. When studying the Bible, I have found that it is very helpful to look for the big ideas, concepts, principles, rather than focusing in on specific literal applications of the text to today's Western culture. The literal reading of many passages often have historical interest, but we need to be very careful how we apply some of these directives to our modern-day society. For example, Exodus 31.14 says that anyone who profanes the Sabbath should be executed. Well, this gives us an interesting window into the culture of the life and times of the Exodus from Egypt, but I hope that we can all agree that this command of Scripture should no longer be practiced today. I have found that big ideas, principles, and concepts often survive translation and cross-cultural jumps very nicely. On the other hand, idioms, poetry, humor, cosmology, and cultural references can easily get lost and cause much confusion. Things that may have been appropriate solutions to problems and questions facing an ancient culture of a pottery-based people group who lived under a system of swift desert justice may no longer offer the best approach for us today. I believe God expects us to figure that out in the very same way that Jesus applied many of the passages of the Old Testament to his time and culture. Jesus would say things like, You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. My last advice for good methods of Bible study should probably have been my first. Perhaps we can say I was saving the best tip for last. I would recommend that before you even open the Bible to study, that you always remember to pause and seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit of God in your study and research. The same Spirit that inspired Scripture is ready to help you understand it in a way that will be meaningful to your personal walk with God today. Well, I know that I have gone long again. Some subjects just seem to require more time than others, I think. 
perhaps it would be good to consider some of these lessons more as a university class. Biblical Studies 101. Those classes usually run 50 minutes. So in that context, I am dismissing you early and you can have a nice break before your next class. In our next lesson, we're going to go back to Genesis and take a deep dive into the meaning of the Hebrew word yom, which is translated into English as day. This is a question that is raging through the Christian church today. How long is the day in Genesis 1? How should we understand it? Did the author of Genesis mean a literal 24-hour day? Or is he talking about a long era of time? I'm looking forward to sharing my thoughts on this critical question next time here at Worldviews. I hope to see you then. Bye for now.